Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Edgy talk. Plain talk. Unrivaled talk. Mike Graham. The only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense. In search of the perfect debate. The independent republic of Mike Graham. On your mobile, on your wavelengths, talk radio and talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. It is Wednesday. That means only one thing. Prime Minister's questions. We'll be bringing that live to you after midday, of course. Peter Cardwell uh, will be stewarding that for us and it will be uh, the return of Rishi Sunak versus Sir Keir Starmer. The last one was quite spicy, if I remember it rightly. Uh, Nick Dubois is here with us this morning. He's going to be helping us look ahead to that and also uh, to give us a bit of background on one or two other things as well. The Diane Abbott case rumbles on. You know, why, oh why, as I said yesterday, uh, is she still in the Labour Party? given what she wrote and also given what we discovered yesterday uh, from our friends at the Jewish Chronicle that it was not in any way, shape or form a first draft of a letter. It was a letter that she wrote and then sent again a second time after it bounced back the first time and then sat on the editor's desk for five days before it was actually published. We'll also talk a bit about Suella Braverman. She spoke to Julie Hartley Brewer this morning. She's also addressing an audience this morning about changes she wants to make to the police in this country. We are still unfortunately uh, in unable unable it would seem in London to do anything about the Just Stop Oil protesters who are out and about again today somewhere in Victoria just walking slowly the police are just leaving them alone people being held up people being stopped from going about their daily business something's going to have to be done also uh, she talks very sort of uh, warmly I think you might find about what it is about her job that makes people hate her so much and all the vitriol that comes her way she'll be talking about a bit of that as well also what about this Bank of England chief a man who makes something approaching £95 an hour, saying basically, you need to accept that you're poorer, stop asking for more money and stop complaining. £190,000 a year. His name is Hugh Pill. I'm going to call him Poison Pill uh, because the bloke is a complete and utter numpty and he should know better. Uh, the people at the Bank of England don't seem to know what they're doing. Uh, they've got one job and that is to control inflation and make sure the economy runs properly. Well, they're not doing either of those things, are they? 0344-499-1000. Andrew Allison joins us as well. We'll talk a bit about uh, the migrants. We're going to be going live to Albania, to Tirana, to speak to an Albanian MP about the new deal that's been done uh, with the Home Office in which it basically stopped anybody coming here from Albania. Why? Because they knew they'd be sent straight back again. Funny that, isn't it? 0344 499 1000 is the number. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Let us get it on.
Welcome to the Independent Republican Mike Grant. I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Monsieur Nick Dubois. Very good morning to you, Nick. Oh, you're bringing my French heritage up there. Do you think anyone knew? Good well, morning. I mean, I, did, I mean, I suppose I have wondered in the past if you've got some kind of Norman background. Because yeah, we of the, are uh, French Protestants. We were kicked out when the Catholics were busy trying oh, yes. to persecute us and kill us all those years yeah. ago. Uh, I'm thinking of laying claim to my French heritage. Uh, nothing, some, nothing to do with Brexit, so I can run for president. I was going to say, surely some reparations must be in order. Oh, that's a good I mean, point. You know, now, that is a good point. Can we get a legal advisor I, I think we certainly can. I mean, after all, everybody else is getting reparations, so I don't see why you shouldn't. Yes, and I'll be honest, a cheque would make up yeah, for it. <laughs> I think the Romans owe me some money, to be honest, because, you know, some of the roads they put in have got terrible potholes in them. Well, I was going to... You know, I mean, what the hell were they thinking? <laughs> I mean, if you can't plan ahead when you invade a country, eh? Hey, oh. abso- absolutely shocking. Um, right, so where to begin? I think we should begin uh, with this Bank of England chief, the chief economist of the Bank of England, a man by the name of Hugh Pill, um, who has been in the job... Uh, not too long, uh, but basically came out with a rather, at the very least, insensitive remark and a completely idiotic one, uh, telling people they should stop asking for more money, they should basically stop complaining that they're now worse off than they were, and they should just knuckle down and get on with it. Yeah, suck it up is his uh, uh, argument that he's putting forward, which, uh, you know, it's kind of refreshing. It's not just, and and we know politicians can be guilty of this, that you can be hopelessly out of touch when you uh, aspire to certain levels and certain privileges. Uh, I think his underlying message, actually, when I read some of the detail of it, I was actually cheering him along, but not for very much, because he's plainly wrong to just lob everyone together and say, suck it up. Now, look, you know, I make no bones about it. Uh, there is, we know there's a cost of living crisis, but uh, is it affecting us? Yes. Is yeah. it actually making our life really extremely difficult, like it is for many other people? No, of course not. Mm. Uh, and he's totally ignored that 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 context right. of what he's actually saying. But is, is he not part of that sort of Westminster bubble? And I know that they're not in Westminster technically; they're in the city yeah, of London. Yeah, it is a bubble. Um, mm. But these are people who make ludicrously large amounts of money. One hundred ninety thousand pounds a year equates to about seven fifty a day. There's yeah. an awful lot of people that have to work a very long time to make that kind of money, and to tell them that they should just accept their lot and shut up. It's yeah. really not the way no, forward. And, and it's completely wrong and it's very arrogant and mm. it just paints more dissatisfaction with what is effectively the established yeah. order within this right. country. And uh, don't forget, this is also the bank that let inflation get out of yeah. control they did and nothing. Is, ha- is now punishing us with huge interest rate rises proportionate to what people have been Mm. used to. You know, people have gone from literally half a percent to now heading towards 5%, we are told. That's a huge increase. And the other problem we've got, which is continuing to to really bother an awful lot of people, is the high cost of energy. Because the government yesterday, only now, has announced even more free money for people. You know, and that is no way to run a country. No, uh, at least this time, it's not just going out to everyone, regardless Mm. of their income. But but you're quite right, they've done that. But actually, this is what gets me a little bit about uh, this. And I'm no economist, and I'm happy to be challenged by anyone on Mm. this. But inflation in the past, banks banks have always put interest rates up because we consumers have too much money flushing around and chasing too few goods and the prices go up. This is uh, inflation caused by a war, by the energy uh, energy crisis, the huge inflationary pressures on there and the huge inflationary pressures on food, not because consumers have Mm. too much money, but because of all the destabilisation from the war. And actually, the answer is not necessarily to punish the consumer. It's to start asking questions, which in fairness, buried in um, Mr Pill's uh, uh, article, he says even get energy companies should be thinking about not passing on mm. the costs um, uh, and taking some of the pain. 
But obviously that has gone relatively unreported right. because he's targeted each and every one of us when he's sitting there on well, a salary of 18 times say, the average. Exactly right. And I mean, it would be all very well for everybody if, in fact, the Bank of England did their job splendidly and stewarded mm. the economy in a way which we could all go, oh, thank God which for the they Bank haven't. of England. But they absolutely haven't. And let's have a look back, uh, basically, at Andrew Bailey. Andrew Bailey is this guy's boss. Uh, he is the sort of chairman, head of the Bank of England. And he was asked, if you remember, a little while ago, uh, exactly uh, how much money he actually made. Here's what he said. What was your pay? over the same period? Actually higher. What was it, Gordon? Um, it's somewhere over 500,000. I can't tell you exactly what it was. I didn't carry that around in my head. I think including pension, 575,000. Yeah. yeah, including pension. 538 pounds. Yeah. I think without yeah. pension, uh, 477,000. Um, that's how many more times? It's substantially more. I, I, yeah, it is substantially more. I know that. Yeah, it's 18 times more, in fact, um, the average salary for a full-time employee. £300 an hour, £48,000 a month. But he didn't carry it around in his head. He wasn't no. sure exactly how much money And he, he is meant to be in charge of the numbers, uh, which is, uh, yes. just, just, just put that in as slightly, an aside. I mean, slightly worrying. But, I mean, to be serious, you know, we can't carry on as a government, surely, in this country, continuing to use taxpayers' money to bail out. You know, you hear people talking about it all the time. Oh, the government's been very generous. Well, they've been very generous with our money. Well, this is... It's this, our money. Yeah, but, Mike, this is the politics we are now yeah. in. This is a competition between governments as to who is going to spend more of your money. Yeah. Now, the Conservatives will argue that sound money, right, i.e. raising taxes mm. and balancing the books, which yeah. are far from balanced, that's actually in our interest to allow us to go on and uh, fund the NHS mm. and, and grow the economy. Labour, on the other hand, will take, uh, well, they're going to spend the same and probably yeah. more amounts of money. But they will argue that, that by redistributing wealth, you build a fairer society. Both of these mm. at the moment involve spending huge sums of money. We are now nearly at the point where our debt is 100% of our GDP, yeah. our output. That is a far yes. cry from those days many, And what many it leaves us with is no wiggle room whatsoever. So if there is something that goes badly wrong with the economy, as we've seen with petrol yeah. prices and with uh, energy prices and with the war in Ukraine, there's literally nowhere to go yeah, apart from to make more money. And, and actually, you talk about wiggle room. It's interesting. There's a group of Conservative MPs who noticed in yesterday's borrowing figures, I think it was yesterday or the day before, that they are 13 billion less than they were before. And up goes an understandable cry to reduce taxes, yeah. something that I believe actually has its place, despite um, the fact that we're not actually reducing taxes mm. at the moment. No. But actually, what Quite they're the really reverse. saying is what they're really saying is continue borrowing at high levels. Uh, rather, there's no wiggle room per se mm. that's going to point us in a direction where we are reducing the amount of taxpayers' money that we are spending at a huge rate. And by the way, don't forget that we're not just spending taxpayers' money, we're borrowing huge mm. amounts on top of what we raise in yes. our taxes. And that's what seems to be lost. We have got you, we're in an age of politics now where having huge debt seems acceptable. Right. Well, we're at the highest point of tax since the Second World War, and yet we seem to be complaining that there's not enough money to go into the public sector. There's not enough money in the NHS, we are told. Mm. There's not enough money to pay teachers. There's not enough money um, to get enough doctors 
doctors to work uh, as GPs. You know, we keep hearing all the time that we're running out of money. Well, where, where is it all going? Well, we keep pe hearing people asking for more money. The mm. doctors' strike, you know, their claim of 35%. Well, that's ridiculous, is, isn't it? Uh, it is ridiculous, but they're still sticking to it. But the, we're seeing people demand even more money, which mm. means even more borrowing, which is basically saying... Next generations, you're going to pick up the bills when yes. they want this money. So there is no sense of living, even attempting to live within reasonable means. Yes. Okay, And that's what is lost. And government's answer, and it will probably be the same at the election, and it started since Tony Blair's days when he came into office, is I am going to have a transactional relationship with the voter. Mm. If I give you X, will you vote for me? Yes. And we've now become an auction where it is what's in it for me, what is the deal you, the government, are yeah. going to offer me, and in return yeah. you can have my vote. Funny enough, deals cost money, and that's why we're on I'm this endless I'm not necessarily trial. against that principle, that if you do something right, that you get the vote of the person who you did it for. Mm. I don't mind that. Um, I just wish that the government was more efficient at spending the money that they're taking off us to do all these things that they say they're going to do. Well, the efficiency is huge, and mm. the NHS is perhaps the biggest example right. of where there has been no substantive attempt to reform mm. the NHS. You will find that there have been attempts to uh, cut a bit of cost here, cut a bit of cost yeah. there. Bottom line is, when I look across countries like Holland, I look at Germany, I look at France, mm. okay, they have systems that outperform us on outcomes while spending mm. roughly the same share of our GDP, yeah. okay, and yet we are pouring huge amounts of money, more than ever before, you know, despite the 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 the, the thing put out by the left that the Tories yeah. are always cutting, oh, yeah. spending more than four, our outcomes are amongst the worst. Yeah. It's amazing it's that we're not up in system. arms about well, that, I mean, metaphorical well, I mean, arms. at least people have now stopped worshipping the NHS. They've now actually realised that it's not what they thought it was, which was this amazing free service that they get. But, because but the, the, the politicians the haven't. World. And I've, I've had them when I've mm. been sitting in your chairs. I've had MPs on here and I said, look, you know, do you still believe the NHS is still the, the envy of the world? Yeah. And they're kind of, yes, well, no, it isn't. Because they can't be caught saying no, can they? And that's the problem. Mm. I think most people know, and it's not going to happen, and I know this, I'm living in a pipe dream, is actually both major parties, right, have to sit down and mm. find common ground on the NHS because this left-right, this change every time there's a change of government, we're spending more than you, we're spending more than you. None of that is actually yeah. serving the patients Well, at we least need. Keir Starmer has stopped the Corbynista kind of um, nonsense about you're trying to detour trying to sell it off which yeah. was never true uh, and which was never going to happen but it doesn't it doesn't stop the commentaria on the left particularly still going mm. on about that and of course they always say oh under the tories we're going to end up looking like america well a america is a worse system mm. than ours believe it or not and i much prefer the systems in holland germany france and elsewhere but secondly if that was the tory secret plan they've been in power another 13 yeah. years after 18 years they're not very good at delivering it you think they? they might have <laughs> made some inroads into doing it but we'll come back to all of that. Uh, Nick Dubois here. We're going to take your calls as well. 0344 499 1000 uh, is the number. What we're going to do next, though, is we're going to talk about Dominic Raab. We're going to talk about the civil service. And, of course, Diane Abbott. What is she still doing in the Labour Party? This is Talk TV. The home of common sense. Talk radio and talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Nick Dubois is here. Just a week ago, Nick, we were sitting around wondering what was going to be in this report about Dominic Raab. And it dropped... Um, 
I guess on Thursday morning, was it? Uh, or th yeah, I think it was Thursday morning during my show. And then by Friday, uh, Dominic Raab had offered his resignation and it had been accepted by Rishi Sunak. I know that you worked closely with Dominic and I know you've spoken about it in the past, but you and I haven't spoken about it. Um, How is he doing now? And does he still feel sort of aggrieved that uh, that it happened in the way that it did? Well, I think it's, it's pretty evident that he wasn't going to go quietly and felt very strongly about the things that he highlighted in his uh, letter. And most of those I completely agree with and mm. I don't think enough attention Mike has been paid to the fact uh, that of all those complaints and there were a large number of complaints put forward mm. we know that two were broadly upheld right. they were upheld uh, to be clear but many of those other complaints the shouting the throwing yeah. the tantrums what was it chucking food chucking at someone tomatoes, all, yeah. all of this stuff which I repeatedly and would have done this on you mm. show said that is not the character right. of the individual that I know and I worked and with and there was no What's mention of any of that And no, well it was ruled out yeah. he said he did not actually ever display those um, uh, uh, quirks let's be polite and describe them which goes to me all that briefing mm. that came from civil servants mainly to the BBC but that briefing that went out in breach of the uh, code of conduct for those civil servants in turn mm. uh, was absolutely disgraceful yeah. and the civil service I hope will be taking a long hard look at themselves the the, 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 the people there and saying we did not come out of this um, uh, as well as uh, they would have liked yes. let's put it politely right. and Dominic highlighted this and he's right to highlight mm. that because he and his family had to go through uh, all those allegations mm. being discussed in parliament, uh, pu public when he could not reply. He, right. was, he respected the process that was going on and that process obviously was flawed to yeah. the extent uh, that it left them in that very, very mm. difficult position with people and happily a, a breaking of, their rules. A their lot codes. of people said to me on Friday last week, you know, what happens now to those people who exactly. made these allegations which have not only been found to be exactly. untrue but to be unfounded mm. uh, and who then also leaked those allegations as if they were true, which mm. was swallowed up by The Guardian and others who mm. Completely and utterly just ramrolled mm. them into the into the press without even checking them. Um, what happens to those people? Is there an inquiry well, now well, into what they were doing? I mean, what should happen? And there's been some hint in in Rishi Sunak's letter, the Prime Minister's letter to Dominic mm. Raab after he res uh, resigned, where he he basically acknowledged that the historic process has not been good. So uh, I hope it will change mm. because if you think about it. Uh, uh, basically, Mike, if if a complaint is made at the time, it should be dealt with yeah. at the time. Not that years way, later. The, res the recipient uh, has had a chance yeah. to respond to it. And if the recipient's behaviour fell below yeah. standards, then he can do or she can do something right. about it. So the process is flawed. They should look at it. And mm. I think that's really fundamentally important to this whole process. Yeah. But the, the civil service relationship with ministers and individual government departments seems to be at a sort of breaking point, doesn't it? Because it, it seems to it me that can be. there are some in, uh, uh, departments, I suppose, better than others. But I mean, only yesterday we get the story that uh, the people working from home, of mm. whom there are at least 50%, it would seem, in major government departments, uh, are not happy because they say, oh, they're always on call. And now they're complaining about working from home, despite the fact that they wanted to work from home, because they say they never, they never get any time. I'm off. Look, you probably expect me to say this, and not least because it is true. Um, I, I won't group all the civil service and refer to them as one because I have worked with some excellent civil servants. Mm. There's absolutely no question of that. And there's some really good ones. But what do I think about the work from home culture? I think it's flawed on just about every level. Yes, I, accept, absolutely. I accept a need uh, these days that hybrid working has its advantages. I also accept the fact that if you're struggling to recruit, which many people are in mm. this climate, uh, you know, if you can get some 
someone who's really good and they happen to live, say, in Manchester and your office is in London and you can work it out, um, then great, yeah. go for it. But you, you've now got a default mechanism where the default position is I should be able to work from home. It is better for everyone. That's the assumption. Yeah. It's fundamentally and it clearly isn't. It clearly is not no. the case. And more and more businesses are recognising mm. that. Why else do we see ourselves, you know, seeing more and more people yeah. returning to London now? And the second reason is we've also got these huge property assets sitting around right. that are underused uh, as well. Yeah. Well, fine. Let, if, if you're going to stick with this working mm. from home, which I hope is not the case, and let's face it, the government have said get back to yeah. the office to their civil But we're servants. also told by government departments that only about 50% of the space that they have in most Whitehall buildings is actually occupied because so many exactly. people are working from home. Well, exactly. I'm saying, therefore, you've got hardly taxpayer f- uh, value in right. that. But I also think that it misses out on the key point. And the key point for me is that you cannot build creative thinking, which helps deal, uh, deliver solutions to problems, which, let's face it, is a big part of the job of the civil service. Mm. You cannot engender the mentoring and support of younger people who are coming into the workplace for the first time over a Zoom camera lens. Right. You can't create that creative energy and thinking uh, over a Zoom camera lens. You just cannot no. do it. And I speak not as an ex-politician or anything like that. I lived as a human a business being. for 25 yeah. years and I want to interact. Right, of course. And but the thing is, you said, you know, there are some advantages to working from home. Yeah, but only really to the people who are working from home. Sure. There's no real advantage to the economy. If it's a service job that you're doing from home, you don't have the same access to the same information. Mm. Everybody has been telling me stories of how they got through to some call centre, you know, employee, but they were working from home and you could hear sort of kids crying in the background, dogs barking. Oh. You know, they haven't got all the things they need to hand. And not only that, but in most government departments and or businesses, you need to be able to walk into a room with somebody and thrash out whatever the problem is. You, you can't. You can't. You can't have a situation, particularly when you bring pe- people together for problem solving. Yeah. It does not work as effectively on Zoom. It mm. really doesn't. No. Uh, you know, nothing does. We are human beings designed to interact and get mm. the best out of each other, or in some cases, the worst. So it's flawed. And I think the civil service really could l- lead by example here, which is what the government have done by pr- trying to persuade many of them to go back. Now, as I say, I'm not lumping everyone together. Yeah. Here. You see that in the different department reports that I think the Welsh office has only 27% occupancy yeah. in the Welsh office and in others like in defence and, and, and health it was relatively yeah. quite high. The foreign office we also know has, has had several opportunities to do a good job of something and hasn't managed it largely because they don't have enough people sitting there actually organising it particularly when it comes to places like the evacuations in Afghanistan Yeah, and I'm, I'm slightly more caught. Let me just put a slightly alternative view on that because I think the jury should still wait and be out on that there there is to me listening to the experts mm. you know at, at the end of the day the judgment on this will be how many lives um were, were lost and yeah. hopefully none right. of the brits that come out that maybe it was right to say stay at home stay safe don't try yeah. and travel until it's later maybe so i'd say the jury's out on yeah. that one and in fairness the crisis center I suspect was pretty busy. Yes. However, yeah, but to the wider take point, away from the wider point. The though. wider point here is that I don't believe it's good for business, and I certainly don't believe it's good for the country if our civil service uh, are basically defining mm. and living and working now as a default position that work from home is okay. The that we, we we're going to be kicking ourselves in a few years' time, let alone now, mm. when I think the evidence will emerge that this has set us back compared to other economies. Yeah, exactly right. Let's finish up with uh, with um, Diane Abbott because Prime Minister's questions today, it was quite feisty last time out, I seem to remember, uh, with quite a lot of accusations being hurled between Rishi Sunak and Keir Starmer. Um, I don't know whether Diane Abbott's name will come up, but, mm. you know, it's pretty clear cut to me what she did, what she said, what she meant to say and what she thinks. 
And I don't understand why Keir Starmer thinks that that's worthy only of a suspension. I don't know what they're going to investigate. Uh, I think they should just kick her out of the party, shouldn't they? Well, I, I, I suspect that's where it will end. There is mm. a growing movement within the Labour Party to be uh, tolerant of um, uh, that uh, that dreadful letter that she wrote and yeah. clearly wrote twice yes. and then sent out. Right. And it hadn't changed from right. what I can no, read. No, it hadn't. But as far as PMQs go, Mike, I suspect the only person who's likely to bring it up will be a backbencher. Mm. Uh, if Keir Starmer's got, got his brain cells in today, uh, I don't mean that offensively. I'm saying if he's thinking... He doesn't better, always. He doesn't always. Uh, the, the reality is I think he'll go on Sudan and try mm. and be the statesman. Yeah. At least half of his questions will, will go yes. on Sudan. And it is a hugely topical issue. And then I suspect they will be picking over crime because, mm. remember, you've got Suella Bravman out there today talking about the, the extra, police, inverted yes. commas, 20,000 police officers mm. and making a big thing about what's wrong with our police force and what they're going to do about it. Keir Starmer clearly thinks from his his absolutely failed advertising campaign that this is a strong card mm. for them to attack the Tories on crime. Look for him to go on that as well, I suspect. Yeah. Peter Cardwell will know better than He will, me. and he'll be on uh, with us shortly. And also we'll be looking at Suella Bravman. She's going to be addressing an audience shortly uh, about the police and about the boosting of the police that she's uh, talking about today. She was also on with Julie Hartley-Brew. We'll bring you some of that as well. Gavin Mortimer also here, uh, coming next from The Spectator, uh, with his view from across the channel uh, of the latest on the migrant crisis as well. It's all happening, and it's all happening right here on Talk TV. Nick Dubois, thank you very much indeed. Uh, we'll see you very soon. Uh, we'll be back after this nationwide by your side talk radio and talk tv Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Big day today, of course. We've got Prime Minister's questions. We've got Suella Bravman addressing uh, an audience about policing and crime uh, at the Public Safety Foundation. We'll bring you that uh, as soon as we have it. It's going on uh, right now in central London. She was also uh, on this morning, uh, the Home Secretary, with um, Julia Hartley Brewer. Let's have a look at what she had to say uh, about the state of policing in this country. I want common sense policing. I want the police to turn up to... Uh, complaints about antisocial behaviour. I want burglary to be properly investigated. I want violence to come down. We are seeing really good reductions in crime uh, in recent years alone, but we're very confident that we're on track to meet our target uh, to recruit 20,000 new police officers, a pledge that we made in our manifesto in 2019. Uh, and if we do achieve this goal, we will have a record number of police officers ever in the history of policing uh, in England and Wales. I think that's a great achievement for policing. Uh, Suella Bravman they're talking about a boost in the 20,000 number uh, of police running uh, around in this country although we did see some of them didn't we running around yesterday with Rishi Sunak uh, some of them cycling some of them running some of them jogging uh, it was rather ridiculous uh, uh, vision you'd have to say we wonder whether and that's going to happen again today because of course he will be making that short trip from Downing Street to uh, the Houses of Parliament and we'll find out whether he's going to be flanked once again uh, by loads of slightly overweight jogging police officers we shall see. 0344 499 uh, is the number. Let's talk now though, to Gavin Mortimer, uh, writer and spectator, of course, because um, we've got plenty to discuss. And later on in the show, we're going to be going live to Tirana in Albania, where we're going to speak uh, to an Albanian MP, Jorida Tabaku, uh, all about how the Albanian problem seems to have been solved, because fewer and fewer numbers of young Albanian men are coming across the channel. Why? because we did a deal with Albania to send them all back if they were coming here 
illegally. It could be the answer, could it not? Gavin, a very good morning to you. Morning, Mike. Amazing how when you actually do something that puts people off coming, they stop coming. You know, genius. Yeah, absolutely. And credit to the government for Richie Sunak. He met the uh, Albanian prime minister in December and they uh, thrashed out this agreement. Obviously, it's in Albania's interest because they're waiting to join the EU. Um, but it shows, you know, if you if, if you if you sit down, discuss, use common sense, you can agree um, a, a good policy. I have to say, though, Mike, as is so often the case with the, the migrant crisis, the good news always tempered by the less so good news. And there's a, a record number of Indians crossing the channel. I think there's a very good article in the Spectator today. Um, 675 crossed in the first three months of this year. 683 in the whole of 2022. Right. So um, obviously in, in a couple of days ago, India surpassed China as the most populous nation. There's now 1.4 billion. So uh, a lot of potential there. Well, this is the trouble, isn't it? Because clearly what we can see is a pattern emerging here where human traffickers sort of almost kind of alight on a new business, you know. So the Albanian business has dried up. So they'll go, OK, what can we do now then? Uh, let's go and find some other group of people from another country uh, who want to come here. And once they can go there and sell it, because they do, they operate like a sort of, um, you know, a, a department store almost, you know. They go uh, to these countries and say, right, we can get you into Britain. Uh, once you get there, you don't have to worry about anything. You'll be able to stay. You won't have to worry about being sent back. And all of that happens and they can just continually move from one country to another can't they absolutely and we've seen that in north africa um, maloney one of the things georgia maloney did uh when she became prime minister in september last year was do a deal with libya um uh, to, to stop the number of uh, people leaving from libya to italy mm. what's happened they simply moved to turkey yeah these gangs albanian um and turkish gangs in particular very well organized very well financed um, and it is like whack-a-mole. You, you close down one route and another one opens up. Right. And that's why Maloney, who's coming to, to London tomorrow to discuss with Sunak, she said time and again, we've got to set up hotspots outside Europe mm. where we can distinguish between genuine refugees who deserve our compassion, as we showed with the Ukraine, with Ukraine, and, um, and economic migrants, which are what the Indians are. They're, they're coming here. Some of them have got family links. Many of them, of course, um, have actually had their uh, application rejected because yeah. they didn't meet work or education requirements, so they've come illegally. Right. And this is what we've got to tackle. Well, it might also help, might it not, if there was one or two borders that they had to come through. A few border crossings wouldn't go amiss in the central part of Europe, but of course there aren't any. And that's part of the problem as well, because once you're into uh, basically Western Europe, there's nothing to stop you getting to Calais, and then there's nothing to stop you getting in a boat. No, there's not. And, and the French are... Uh, There's quite a bit of tension on the French-Italian border, Mike, down here um, uh, in the southeast of the country because an increasing number, record numbers of uh, of migrants are landing in Italy, by the way, 35,000 uh, this year, which is 27,000 more than at this time last year. Yeah. Uh, and many of them want to come to France and or want to come to England, depending whether they speak French or English. They don't want to stay in Italy. And so a, a huge number are, are trying to... Uh, breached the French-Italian border, particularly unaccompanied minors. I think there were about 600 in in March alone. Mm. And some of them may be minors, but as we've seen before, um, a great many of them aren't. <laughs> They're strapping young men in mm. their early 20s who, who have been told again, they've been coached by the people smugglers, oh, listen, say you're 15, say you're 16, 
You'll go straight through. Yeah, exactly right. Stay where you are if you would, Gavin, just for a moment. We're going to go and listen to a bit of Suella Braverman. She's talking about how the government's hit their target of hiring 20,000 more police officers. To police chiefs for leading this drive. And to those men and women who have signed up, you are now part of a policing family epitomised by bravery and dedicated to public service and safety. As part of the new generation of policing, you will help to raise standards, refocus priorities and maintain our world-leading place in policing. Policing must remain open to the best and the bravest, whether or not they have a degree. And common sense policing means encouraging the recruitment of officers that come from and live in the communities they serve, familiar with local challenges and familiar to local people. That's why I've widened the pool from which we can recruit by enabling non-degree holders to be part of policing. It's not about how many exams you sit or essays you can write. Important skills, though, those are. It's about common sense, problem solving and strength. Strength of character and strength of physique. So 20,000 officers is not just a statistic in a press release. The uplift is already delivering improved outcomes for policing and the communities they serve. All forces now have a named officer and contact information on their websites, meaning our commitment to greater local accountability as set out in our beating crime plan. More police means more flexibility for forces to do what makes sense locally, which goes to the very heart of common sense policing. A PCC recently explained how the uplift is making a difference in their patch. They said, additional officers have been deployed into our more rural communities, which allows response times to lessen and takes pressure off urban-based officers from covering a wider area, allowing them to focus on localised crime. In one force, much of uplift has been reinvested into tackling rape, with the creation of an additional 119 roles. Another force has used the uplift to double the size of its knife crime team, boosting its capacity to seize dangerous weapons and keep people safe. Recruiting officers is crucial to getting more bobbies on the beat, but retention of existing officers is similarly important. Every force must focus on retaining the essential skills and experience of existing officers. We're driving forward work to support this, whether that's through the College of Policing's Leadership Centre, the MPCC's Productivity Review, or introducing a statutory police covenant, which is already delivering tangible benefits for the police. For the first time, new officers are given pre-deployment mental health training to ensure they are able to manage the rigors of, of frontline policing. And welfare standards covering the entire workforce are now assessed as part of the regular force inspection programme. It's also vital that policing can offer a pathway back for those who do leave to ensure that experience doesn't only ever leave the building. Whilst many forces have deployed rejoiner schemes at entry level, I'm not convinced that all forces are doing enough to encourage more senior people back into policing. There is scope to expand these schemes to focus on key skills gaps using the standards and guidance developed by the College of Policing. 
20,000 more police and tougher sentencing for criminals was a promise in our 2019 Conservative Manifesto. It's what the public voted for, and it's precisely what this Conservative government is now delivering. So, Bella Brown, the Home Secretary, they're talking uh, to the Public Safety Foundation, talking about the rise in police officers that have now been hired. 20,000 uh, was the target. They say they've now reached it. Uh, she's talking about putting more police on the streets. Uh, we're talking still uh, to Gavin Mortimer. We're going to come back to Gavin in a moment. I am actually quite heartened to hear that uh, uh, Suella Bravman, at the very least, has started using the term common sense an awful lot. Obviously, been listening to this show uh, and listening to this station because we are, of course, the home of common sense. Uh, and if the government operated with a bit more common sense, they might be a bit more successful, you would have to say. This is Talk TV. I'm Mike Graham. We'll have more uh, with Gavin Morsimer in France coming next. On the app, on your smart speaker, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We're talking to Gavin Morsimer uh, over in France with The Spectator. Gavin, thanks for uh, holding on to us while we listen to a bit of Suella Braverman there. A couple of things to mention to you as well. Immigration Minister Robert Jenrick uh, is in a bit of hot water here because he came out yesterday and basically said that MPs should be careful as the illegal migration bill gets back into Parliament later on today, uh, that they should heed the warnings of protests over migrant hotels or they might lose the trust and respect of the British public. And he talked about about the astronomical numbers of arrivals, which is certainly the case so far this year, cannibalising compassion for genuine refugees. And of course, he's now been accused of being racist for using the word cannibalise, uh, which sort of proves his point, you know, because all the people who think that, you know, everybody's welcome and that we've got room for absolutely anyone that fancies coming uh, would only have to be racist themselves to think that the word cannibal is somehow something to do with the colour of somebody's skin. Well, the only cannibals I know about are those Argentinian rugby players um, and Jeffrey Dahmer. Both, all of whom were white, as far as I know. It's another indication of the uh, intellectual immaturity yes. of some of the, the people today, that they, they act like 14-year-olds. And, yeah. and I think it's a deliberate tactic, Mike, to try and divert attention from the real issue. And, and Robert um, Genrick talked about the dangers of um, around social cohesion. Yeah. If you... Um, a huge number of, of illegal immigrants arrive. And in fact, it was a, the main story, Mike, if I just may tell you this quickly, uh, dominating the French news this week, is that on Monday in the Indian Ocean island of Mayotte, which is off um, Mozambique, yeah. um, uh, uh, a, an operation was launched to remove uh, a huge shanty town um, from, uh, that has grown up in the last 10 years or so um, from the Comoros Islands, which are about 50 miles of Mayotte, yeah. and the population of Mayotte has doubled from 180,000 to 360,000 in the space of about 14 years, right. ever since Mayotte became a French department. In other words, it gets money from the French state. So its hospitals have improved, mm. its education system have improved, and this makes it very attractive for illegal immigrants. And there's been a huge surge in, in crime um, and insecurity, and the locals aren't happy. And they want something done about it. And it's taken it's taken a decade for the police, the French government, to finally act. What's happened? 12 hours after this operation began, human rights lawyers uh, forced its suspension. Yeah. It's now in the courts. The locals are furious. And again, it's just, I tell you this, because it's another sign of how the human rights industry is, is working against the interests of a majority people, whether it's in an Indian Ocean island of Mayotte or whether it's in Europe. 
that governments are being frustrated in carrying out the wishes of the majority of people. Opinion polls in France and Britain show that two-thirds of people want something done about illegal immigration, but these human rights organisations and lawyers are preventing the government from carrying out what the yeah. people want. Well, there's an awful lot of money in it. I mean, we're still uh, fighting the idea that if you come here illegally and you are turned down for asylum, uh, that you should be able to then access legal aid to challenge it. I mean, it's complete madness, isn't it? It is complete madness, and it is leading. Robert Jenrick is quite right. It is leading to an increase in social tensions. Yeah. But, of course, these well-paid human rights lawyers don't see that because they all live in their... Uh, in their um, uh, salubrious um, ivory uh, towers. Yeah, exactly. They don't. They don't. It, it's the working class people who who suffer most yeah. from mass uncontrolled immigration because there's a breakdown in in schools. In in uh, harder to get a GP, harder to get your child into school. Yeah. And 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 it's just life is becoming increasingly difficult, and you can understand people's frustrations. Absolutely right. And just one final thing, Gavin. Um, Rishi Sunak today saying he's going to try and urge European Union countries to let. Uh, British travellers through the e-gates where they used to go when they were members of the European Union. Um, I'm not sure the French um, and the Spanish are going to go for it, but they do allow it in Portugal, so they could if they wanted to. And it's, it's annoying, Mike. Richie Sunak, he, he was in a great fanfare last month, went to Paris. He and Macron is a bromance. They are hugging each other. They were best friends. Yeah. You know, this is the sort of thing that he should be hammering out with Macron. Mm. And it, it, it's a little thing, but it does just convey the impression that the countries are working together. And, and this is this is something that's not being done. And, and it's again, it's a sign, I think, of a, of a sulkiness of the EU yeah, ever since Brexit. And it's time that we sat down and started talking like adults and and just really because it would at a time when we've got the threat of Russia, the threat, threat of China, we need cooperation between European countries, regardless of whether we're in the EU or not. And and so leaders must act responsibly, act maturely and sort these things out. Yeah, absolutely right. Gavin, couldn't agree more. Thanks very much indeed for taking the time to talk to us. Gavin Mortimer from The Spectator there. Um, we've got much more to do. Coming up in the next hour, Andrew Allison is going to be joining us. Uh, he's going to talk about the host pipe ban, which is currently on off. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., but in various different water areas, despite the fact that we had the wettest march for a very, very long time. 42 years, in fact, I think. Uh, also, we will be going live to Tirana in Albania, where we'll be talking to an Albanian MP about the success uh, of the blockage now of young Albanian men coming to Britain illegally on the small boats. Let's talk, though, uh, to some of you as well. Mike's in Southend-on-Sea. Hello, Mike. 
Hello. Good uh, morning. First of all, fa- yeah, good morning. First of all, thank you. Thank you for the first honest and accurate analysis I've heard on the radio of the country's financial mess. Yes. The, the borrowing requirement, etc. That's what you were talking yeah. about. My point is, we have a four-year rolling election system. Mm. What government is going to say, we need to do something about our, our, our borrowing our national debt? Yeah. And in order to do that, the only way to do it is you had better get used to your standard of living dropping, because that's what would have to happen. Yes, and, and you know, you're right, and nobody really wants to grasp that particular nettle, do they? They're not going to get re-elected if they do. And politicians, like everybody else, put their job security and their family first. I do, you do, they do. Yes. And the way they do that is they want to keep their job and be re-elected. And that's my analysis yes. of it. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. They're frightened of, of, of taking money away from somewhere uh, because that somewhere might complain. Mike, you're quite right. It is ridiculous, though, isn't it? Because the idea that somehow this government um, can continually just hand out free money to people, you know, it might well be uh, that we're going to vilify uh, Mr Poison Pill, uh, who is Hugh Pill, of course, the chief economist at the Bank of England, because he's on 190000 a year and he's telling everyone to just suck it up and get used to the fact that you're poorer and you're less well off and you can't do anything anymore because you haven't got the money. Uh, it's all very well for him to say that. You know, he's making £75 an hour. Uh, lots of people take quite a long time uh, to make £190,000. Uh, and, of course, the leader of the Bank of England himself, uh, the chief exec, uh, Andrew Bailey, he's on over £575,000, uh, which is approximately 18 times what ordinary people are having to live on uh, in this country. So it's a bit rich, if you'll pardon the pun, for anybody at the Bank of England to start saying, just get used to it, just deal with it, just stop complaining, because it's their fault that we're here in the first place. Never mind about Ukraine, never mind about COVID, never mind about all the payments that were made uh, through the furlough scheme. The fact is, is that the Bank of England was supposed to steward the economy out of that, and they did literally nothing. As the interest rates went lower and lower and lower, they did not prepare. There used to be a phrase, you know, fixing the roof uh, while it was a sunny day before the rains come, so that when the rains do come, you don't actually get wet, you don't have to put buckets down in the middle of the living room. The problem now uh, is that this government is drunk on free money, is drunk on taxpayers' money, and the only way that it can succeed with the policies that it has is that it can continue to borrow and continue to tax us more in order to pay money to people who can't afford to live. It can't go on like that, surely, to heavens. 0344 499 1000. Um, fantastic work by Rishi Sunak, says Paul in Fife, getting Albania to agree to accept the return of the illegal Albanians who came here uh, on dinghies, going back to their own country. Well, it is a great result. Uh, but the problem is, of course, uh, that as we heard from Gavin Mortimer, the Albanians have now been replaced by people from India because the traffickers have got such a decent system now, they've got such a business model that they can literally pivot and put it anywhere. So what they can do is say, right, well, if the money's dried up from Albania, what we'll do is we'll just get the money from somewhere else. And in this case, it happens to be India. So there needs to be a whole absolute and utter root and branch change in people coming here and being sent back straight away. It's as simple as that. 
This is Talk TV. Fast Talk. Street Talk. Mike Graham. Fighting the good fight with all his might. Providing a welcome dose of common sense for the common people. Solid Talk. Hot Talk. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On your mobile, on your wavelength, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. It's Wednesday, of course, and we've got Prime Minister's questions coming up uh, very shortly at midday. Uh, it's going to be uh, Sir Keir Starmer. It's going to be Rishi Sunak. Last week, it was quite feisty. It was quite tasty, actually, quite entertaining. So we'll see uh, whether it's going to be like that again. Uh, there's going to be plenty for them to argue about. We've seen Suella Braverman up this morning talking about uh, more police, 20,000 more police, to be precise, a target that she says the government has now reached and there will be more police on the streets. Let's hope so. Uh, let's hope they won't be on the streets doing what they've been doing the other day with Rishi Sunak, uh, sort of jogging alongside his car uh, and or cycling in front of it uh, in order to stop the Just Stop Oil types from getting in the way. We shall see how he gets from Downing Street to Westminster. Andrew Allison is here with us this morning. Uh, he's from the Freedom Association. He's got something to say about the water shortages in this country after the wettest march we've had for 42 years. And also, what about this Bank of England chief, Poison Pill, as I call him, Hugh Pill, the man who's on 190 grand and says you should just suck it up if you can't afford to buy things it's just because you're poorer now than you used to be and it's nobody's fault but your own marvellous isn't it Andrew very good morning good morning mate nice to see you um now normally we start off our conversation with how terrible was your journey down here from the north of England uh, but you've just told me it was quite good so that's brilliant there's no point in doing that yeah, absolutely so the trains brilliant. are back to normal they appear to be back to normal no, no have they called all? off all the strikes now uh, I don't think they've been properly remember. called. I don't think they've been properly called off, right. but but I think they've been suspended for yes. a while. Yeah, I mean, it seems to me that we've got so used to people being on strike. The junior doctors are still striking. Mm. I think they've got some more coming up. The nurses still on strike. The Royal mm. College of Nurses, anyway. Some of them have accepted the deal. The mm. teachers, I think, are going on strike this week. And anybody, anybody who's got kids yeah. who are doing exams, as I have, yeah. uh, you know, it's incredibly frustrating. Yeah, well, my son's off school tomorrow because of the teachers strike. Mm. He's off next Tuesday because of the teachers yeah. strike. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what these people want. Well, I do know what they want. Well, they want more money. They want more <laughs> money. Um, but we've, I mean, in the, in one sense, what this Bank of England guy is saying is that you can't just keep giving people more money, which, is, which, which he's is right about. Yeah. But it doesn't sit very well, does it, when you've no, it's that a bit... kind of money uh, and you're telling everybody else why they should be happy with less. It's a bit rich coming from the Bank of England. 750 quid a day, this guy makes. I mean, the, 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 the Bank of England's job is to control inflation. Uh, and, and if we cast our minds back... And they, they failed they, miserably. Well, they, they predicted that... Inflation in 2022 will be hovering around Mm. 2%. I mean, they got that wrong by many multiples. But of course, they caused a lot of the problems in the first place by flooding the system with with freshly printed money during during the pandemic. Then demand rose Mm. and straight away inflation rose. But they didn't see it coming. Yeah. And these are other people did see it coming. Of course, many economists saw it coming. I saw it coming. Mm. But apparently these people are very, very well paid. I mean, you mentioned 190k uh, for for, for Mr. Pill. I haven't a clue what uh, Andrew Andrew Bailey's Well, neither is he, funnily enough, because we played a clip earlier when he was asked before a parliamentary committee. uh, He said, oh, I I, I didn't have that number in my head. Oh, yeah. They very happily pointed out it was 575,000. 538 quid, including his pension. Uh, So he's making basically 18 times the UK average for a full-time employee, which is extraordinary, isn't it? Well, he could take a pay cut, couldn't he? Because he doesn't do his job very well. Well, he doesn't know what he's doing either, because uh, he literally said, I think, back in February of last year, we can't control inflation. Mm. And I'm like, but you're in the Bank of England. That's your job. Yeah. It's the only job you've got. Interest rates should have been been raised long before they were. Of course they should. And I mean, if you and I as pretty much laymen in these situations can tell them that, why on earth did they not do it? 
Good question. I mean, you know, is it the fact that uh, the public sector, and I know the Bank of England is a slightly sort of hybrid version of the public sector because it's actually not part of, you know, any government department, but it is effectively the public sector. I mean, they don't seem to be able to do their jobs at all. No, no, We've they got don't. the Foreign Office, uh, we're being told, less than half full in the midst of an international crisis, similar to when we found out when the Afghanistan airlift was going on, there was only one guy in there, physically, in yeah. the office. Yeah, exactly. And civil servants want to go down to a four-day week mm. because they're, they're overworked, working from home. Yes. I mean, I don't quite understand how they've managed to work this one out. They say that when they work from home, they never get left alone. And people assume that their working day stretches all the way through into the evening. Well, one, I don't believe them. Yeah. And two, if you don't like working from home, then come back to the bleeding office. Mm. Right? Well, I could do what I do. I set uh, a do not disturb thing on my phone right. between certain hours. Now, yeah. don't get me wrong, it's from about 10 o'clock in the evening to mm. 8 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. But at the same time, you can you can do that. There's all sorts of ways you can avoid work emails. Yeah. So that's that's just a pathetic excuse. And when you, when you look at the state of public services in this country, I can't believe that these people are so stressed and overworked. That, that, that doesn't seem possible. Well, also, I mean, if they're all uh, these people are working from home, who is it that's sending them these emails out of hours? Is it the well, people who... Who are working in the office or is it not actually happening well it depends on their job doesn't it mm. but i mean if, if, if you're working in the foreign office i imagine you get a lot of out of hours stuff but then that is part of your job i would imagine if you're working in the foreign office they would have separate departments for different parts of the they world do. wouldn't no, they, they? No, they so do. That if you're working and dealing with say china then you would probably work different hours from the person Correct. who's dealing with the western part of europe wouldn't yeah. you? yeah no that's right yeah they, they, they are in different different time in zones, different and, time different, zones. And, and different areas so you're working world. pretty much around the clock but you're not actually physically working around the clock. No, the, the, the foreign office is working around mm. the clock, but, but it's not individuals who right. are working around the clock. I mean, the problem still seems to me in London, certainly, I don't know what it's like where you are, uh, that an awful lot of people are still doing what is at the very least hybrid working. Mondays are very quiet. Fridays are still very quiet. You know, Borough Market is now shut down on a Monday because they've mm. worked out there's not enough people to actually uh, bother opening up for, mm, mm. which is a real indictment of, of the state of, of play, I think. I think London is worse than it is mm. elsewhere in the country. I mean, I, I have noticed the fewer people in my part of the yeah. world seem to be working on a Friday. Right. Um, but there again, that that tended to happen anywhere. Right. I, mean, I mean, near my office, there's a, there's a caravan place, you mm. know, manufactures caravans. Uh, and they've always finished around about 11.30 a.m. on a Friday. Yeah. But then they do work long hours on a Monday to Thursday yes. to compensate for right. that. But uh, other people, of course, just decide to knock off early anyway because mm. it's a Friday and, and they're working fewer hours. Right. It's like the old conversations you used to have when you walk into the pub at sort of half past two and say, can I have some lunch? And they go, no, it's half past two. You know, I thought we'd got out of that culture. We seem to have gone backwards, back yeah, into the sort of 1970s, where you couldn't do anything at mm. certain times of the day because nobody wanted to do it. I remember when I was a boy, I went with my father to watch the local football club. Yeah. They, were, they were playing Gretna. Right. And, uh, and we were after some lunch. Yes. And there was a sign on a cafe door, and I kid you not, close for lunch. Close for lunch. <laughs> I mean, and I really did think we'd left all that behind, but, mm. but, but you know, we haven't, sadly. Uh, what we do seem to have a problem with still, though, is the old water bosses and the hosepipe bands. And we can't believe that we've now got hosepipe bands at this time of year, in April showers time. I mean, it doesn't mm. go very long before rain will fall, uh, generally speaking, over the course of this month. Last month, it was the wettest March, mm. apparently, in 42 years. But yeah. yet... There are hosepipe bands. I mean, it's hard to believe. It is hard to believe. And of course, Southwest Water, uh, Devon and Cornwall. Yeah. I mean, Devon and Cornwall are pretty wet. They're they wet parts are. Of, the, of, of the country. Mm. And these bands uh, have been put in just in case we have a hot summer. Yeah. Just in case. Right. 
But, well, what, but what about the leaks? Well, they still haven't fixed the leaks. I mean, no, we've been told by Thames Water in London, mm. and I was, as long ago as 2012, I think it was 2011, they were doing an awful lot of roadworks in London, and they said that they were replacing all the Victorian water pipes mm-hmm. before the Olympics so that London could be this sort of modern, thriving metropolis without any <laughs> leaking water pipes. They're still fixing them. Apparently they're still, you know, we're now talking, what, 12 years on from the Olympics, um, 13 years on, they're still doing the same work. Well, you read stories in the newspapers or you hear them on, on shows like this of, uh, of, of burst water pipes yeah. and all the leakage and all the rest of it. The water companies say, we'll be on top of that. Mm. And then they never are. Yeah. And, and it just goes around ad nauseum, doesn't it? It does. Uh, they, I mean, there was one never outside this anything. building. There was one outside this building a few weeks ago. I actually took a, a video of it because there was water just literally cascading out of this pipe. Mm. And they put a fence around it, but there was nobody there. <laughs> Right, and it was just, it just said, you know, Thames Water <laughs> fixing your, you know, fixing your water problems, and it was literally, I don't know where they'd gone for lunch. They'd gone for lunch, but yes. it was, you know, it was, must have been thousands, and millions of liters pumping out of this of this hole in the road, and nobody doing anything about it. I know, I know. and uh, it was there for a couple of hours, a good couple of hours. And it's not just Thames Water; it's like it's all over the country. Yes. I think I think every water company. Oh, is, totally. Is exactly. The well, same. one of the things I can't imagine uh, is the way that they run the water systems in this country, where you pay a sort of surcharge for them to take the water away mm. rather than uh, paying just one fixed amount of money. So you pay a charge for having the water come into the house and you have a charge for it going out of the house. Yes, you do. And going out is more expensive than coming in. Yeah. How, how does that work? I, I mean, I, I just don't know how they do it. And meanwhile, I think something like 72 billion litres a day leaks into the ground. Mm. And they tell us, and this is the latest one, and I don't want to keep picking on Thames Water, but they seem to be the focus of a lot of the stories that we do. Uh, they, they came out with this brilliant suggestion last week or the week before uh, that if you were using the toilet uh, only to go for a pee, that you shouldn't bother flushing it, which was then decided that it was probably quite unhygienic, so that wasn't very good advice at all. But this was because, again, there might be a drought in the summer. Oh, it, it's it's I mean, back, back, in t- back in 2007, my house was flooded. Yeah. Um, and then I got... And it was basically flooded because Yorkshire Waters pump mm. stopped working right. and therefore loads and loads of houses were right. so they can't because they can't handle it as too much water no they can can't it? they can't so, so, so what happened is I got this huge bill mm. from Yorkshire Water and they said you must have a leak I, yeah. said, I said if I have a leak that big I said, I said my house would be flooded again <laughs> and amazingly yeah oh they just wrote it off Really? They didn't even try to argue with me because right. they knew I was right. Right. Well, were they going to try and charge you some money then? Oh, they're going to charge me about 200 and something quid. Right. Uh, and based on the prices at the time, mm. I mean, that was that was thousands and thousands of gallons right. of water. Right. So if I had a leak in my house you know, with thousands and thousands mm. of gallons of water, you'd know about it, you, wouldn't you? You, you? you would think so. And the other thing is, of course, that all those, and I'm not by any means a, a, a fundraiser or a cheerleader for this government... But they do get blamed for an awful lot of things that they shouldn't be blamed for. Mm-hmm. For example, all the sewage spillage that goes on. Again, it's the fault of the water companies of it who is. can't seem to handle when there's a bit of rain. And suddenly they're pumping sewage into rivers and into the sea. Mm. I don't really understand why that's the government's fault. It's not the government's fault. It's, it's like everyone blames the health secretary for things that go wrong in the yeah. health service. He doesn't, right. he doesn't run the health service. Right. The chief executives of, of various trusts and the chief executive of NHS England, for example, they run the health service. Yeah. Yes, uh, the, the health secretary has you know political accountability but it's it's not his day-to-day job no. to, to run the I mean it's one of many things that they could be fixing I suppose but let's just go back to the Bank of England for a minute because Suella Bravman was on the Home Secretary was on this morning with Julie Hartley Brewer and she was asked about this guy Poison Pill as I'm calling him Hugh Pill the man who thinks that you should just suck it up if you're feeling poorer because that's just the way of things let's have a look 
Well, listen, there's been a lot of disputes about pay recently. I think the government's taken the right approach in uh, uh, a firm but measured approach when it comes to public sector pay disputes. Recommendations which are made by the independent body are, are, have been largely accepted by the government, uh, whether it comes to the, uh, the railways or the health sector or the teaching sector. We need to ensure that inflation comes down. That we need to ensure that inflation comes down. Well, that's true. Um, we've got the coronation coming up. I mean, that should be a bit of a boost for the old um, the should be. coffers, shouldn't it? It should be. But, you know, I think a lot of media outlets uh, mm. are talking about the coronation. But I don't really hear anybody I speak to. Mm. You know, the friends, conversations that I it's have. Definitely not, it's not going to be. I was talking to somebody the other day about the number of um, sort of party, street party licences uh, that have been given out. And it's very few. not that many. It's in no, the hundreds rather than the thousands. It is. It? And, and there's certainly no street parties going on around me. Mm. Um, and as I say, it's, it's not a topic of conversation that the that, that people raise with no. me. Now, maybe as we get closer, I mean, I know we're just over a week away, yeah. but by the time it comes to the end of next week and, and the coronation's a couple of days away, mm. maybe people are going to get more interested. I think it. it will depend on the weather. It's very much a weather-related event for me. I mean, if it's a nice weekend... It'll probably people, pour down with rain. People will it? go out and about and enjoy it and they'll go to the pub or they'll go and maybe sit in a park or something and have a picnic and watch it or listen to it on the radio. But, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm with you. I don't think, the, I don't think the, the, the country has kind of embraced it in the way that they embraced the Queen's Jubilee last no, year. Because no. I think people had a sense last year that that was probably the biggest and last event that the Queen yeah. was going to be involved in, yeah, aside from her funeral. Yes, we, 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 we did know that. But, but you're right, if the weather is good, it'll be fine. If the weather is lousy, mm. you know, typical sort of bank holiday weekend, yeah. then, then Well, it's... the forecast is saying it's going to be dry and mild, so that's almost bound to be wrong, isn't it? Well, of course it is. <laughs> <laughs> and we've got two bank holidays as well. So we've a bank holiday coming up this yep. Monday, yep. and then bank another one... The following Monday. Following Monday. It's not and bank, bank holiday Friday, And a bank holiday right at the very end. For the month, so there's there's three Mondays I in mean, May, and sorry, five Mondays in May, and three of them are bank holidays. It's extraordinary, isn't it? Mm. And then some people think we should have more bank holidays. Yeah, the economy's never going to recover. Unbelievable, Andrew. Good to see you. Thank <laughs> you very much you. indeed, Andrew Allison of the Freedom Association. We're going to be doing Plank of the Week later on uh, this week with Andrew uh, in the chair as well. So um, we've got plenty to talk about. That's every Friday, of course, seven p.m. You don't want to miss that. Uh, coming up, uh, we're going to be doing uh, the, of course, uh, Big Wednesday uh, set piece, which is the uh, Prime Minister's questions. It's going to be Rishi Sunak. It's going to be Keir Starmer. Also, we're going over to Tirana to find out from an Albanian MP uh, how they're dealing uh, with the situation now uh, that so few uh, Albanian young Albanian men are coming to the UK because we did a deal to send them straight back again. This is Talk TV. Nationwide, by your side, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We are, of course, with you all the way through until one o'clock. Uh, Ian Collins will be with us then until four. Then it's Vanessa Feltz. Uh, then it's the Jeremy Kyle Show. Then it's Piers Morgan Uncensored. And then followed by, of course, The Talk at 9pm. Uh, I was on that last night. I'll be on it again this morning. We haven't really talked much about the uh, Charles from the Chocolate Factory story, but we might get into that. Uh, somebody's made a bust of King Charles, made entirely from chocolate, mel melted down celebrations, apparently. Uh, he's been modelled in bronze and he's been carved from marble, uh, but now he's been captured as a life-size chocolate bust. It weighs 50 pounds. It's made from 2,875 celebrations and was created by a team of sculptors to celebrate the coronation. And there it is, the coronation suite. Um, I don't know, really. I'm not sure I want a chocolate version of the king. I mean, who's going to eat that, for heaven's sake? 
Anyway, listen, we've been talking this morning about the difference in uh, the illegal migrants coming to this country from Albania because a deal was done uh, between this government and the government in Albania. Uh, and as a result, because our young Albanian men who were coming here illegally were being sent back, they seem to have stopped coming. Um, they have been replaced by people from other parts of the world, of course, so the illegal migrant problem still persists. But let's talk now to Jarida Tabaku, uh, Albanian MP from the Democratic Party of Albania. She's in uh, Tirana right now. Uh, Jarida, very good uh, morning to you. Thank you for joining us. Morning, Mike, and thanks for pronouncing my name rightly. Well, that was, <laughs> that, was, that was my guess, so I'm, I'm very glad I got it right. Thank you very much. Um, how are things in Albania and, and what sort of a day are you having so far? Things here are good. We are in a, a election mode. We have local elections in a couple of weeks. It's a sunny day, and uh, things are um, things the are best looking up. to come. Things things are looking better. Uh, uh, in the future than they actually are. Yes, so. that's good. Um, I wish I could say the same, but I'm not sure I can because it's not so great here. But never mind. Um, we've listened to the Home Secretary, Suela Braverman, this morning talking about a great many things, including putting more police on the streets and, and more um, migrants uh, and trying to stop many more migrants from coming to this country. They're coming from a lot of different places. It was kind of unusual, I think, last year when we discovered so many people were coming from Albania. Uh, yes, I did hear the interview of the minister uh, a, a couple of hours ago, I guess. Yeah. Uh, first of all, let me say you that uh, the comments that the minister made were very, very, very uh, not typical of, um, of Britain. Uh, I believe that uh, she has singled out a whole community of Albanians living in UK unjustly. There are around 150,000 Albanians living there. Mm. And those have made the living, um, of course, honestly. There are different uh, groups of people living there, students who are coming to live there. I have studied myself in UK and I know what a vibrant community of Albanians is there. But of course, there are also some uh, people who do not represent the best of us. No. As uh, Also in UK, there are people who do not represent the best of you. Right. So in every country it happens. And singling out and attacking a whole community only because she was failing to do her job was not right no it impacted the life of albanians there but also people who left uh, who are living there did feel the pressure uh, besides her comments also in their everyday life mm. i mean i suppose that the, not for me to defend her but she would say that the people who came most recently illegally were coming for a for a bad reason because usually many of them had either been deported before or had been refused entry. And so they could only come illegally because many of the people you talk about, the 150,000 who are in various communities here, came to this country legally, perfectly legally. Yes, uh, as I said, not not all Brits are good, not all Albanians are good. We can, I am not protecting ah. uh, uh, anyone who uh, does, of course, illegal things. But uh, having around 100,000 emigrants and only 10% of them being Albanian and singling out that community only because there were failures in the British system, uh, the agreement signed between Albania and, and Britain resulted in a few numbers of people coming there without anything happening in Albania differently, mm. only things changing in UK means that she was wrong. It was a failure of the British system of what happened. Uh, I am in opposition, and of course, I, I try to see, see things uh, very negatively here. And I do that uh, in my everyday life, and mm. I'm very much worried that Albanians are living. Uh, we have our own problems here. Uh, but 
uh, whatever happened in UK only because people with problems uh, were could not be managed by by the government. Of course, did not shed a good life uh, a good light uh, also uh, in her work actually. So now that they've done a deal, um, things are very presumably different. Um, the people who are no longer coming, um, what are they doing in Albania? Are they staying in Albania or are they going elsewhere? So we have our own problems here, Mike. Uh, mm. Albania is a country in transition. 30 years now after communism, we are a country who is going towards uh, Europe now. We are in the accession process. Uh, we have high unemployment. We have, of course, corruption. Rule of law has problems inequality uh, and people who were coming to UK were coming from poor areas in the north of the country uh, and uh, because of lack of opportunities here because of the uh, because of the system here they were trying to seek an opportunity in UK but nothing has changed here we have the same government same opposition we didn't have elections since last year and I see numbers dropping mm. in the first uh, first four months of last year uh, 440 people came with illegal boats this four months 52 people came with illegal boats uh, telling me that uh, the the way the brits were managing the process but also uh, the uh, problems there uh, with uh, visa application, with uh, welcoming uh, uh, emigrants, with opportunities for emigrants there. I was shocked, Mike, to hear that kids were being kidnapped out of uh, of welcoming homes in Britain, and half of those were Albanian. Mm. Of course, this is not a problem for uh, our problem. It, it, it's uh, your system's uh, problem. Yes, but it's also a problem because many of those kids were being kidnapped by uh, older Albanian men, we believe, and were being sort of put into gangs to work in the, in the drug business. Uh, I believe a lot of things, but I don't have the facts. Uh, there is a problem with uh, uh, Albanian organized crime, yeah. and there is a problem uh, uh, which the government should acknowledge with... Uh, 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 Albanian uh, trafficking of, of drugs, and yeah. there is something that we have to deal with it, and the government should see the figures and uh, and deal with it. Uh, but whatever happened uh, with uh, with the process that brought to the agreement, uh, of course, it was not a problem of Albanians who do not have an opportunity here and see going to UK as as an opportunity. Mm. Uh, uh, I believe that uh, if we would uh, have seen this problem since the beginning as it was. Uh, if we would have not singled out a whole community and if we have not uh, uh, taken our own responsibilities, me as a politician, I take my responsibilities here because I consider uh, myself uh, uh, one of the sources of the problem because people are living also because of us, politicians yes. in Albania. If this was done by the, Greek, by the British government in time, uh, the numbers would have not increased uh, if uh, the, ter the, the 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 channel was uh, uh, actually being controlled and scrutinized better. Uh, if agreements with bordering countries, so with France, as it happened now, was done previously in time, I don't believe the situation would have uh, escalated so. Yes, it really does seem to have escalated. Let's have a look at what um, Zola Bravman said this morning to uh, Julie Hartley Brewer. This government is introducing legislation that the British people overwhelmingly want. They want us to stop the boats. Our measures that I've introduced will design a scheme whereby if you arrive here illegally, you'll be detained and swiftly removed to a safe country like Rwanda or to your home country if it's safe. 
I urge my colleagues in the House of Lords to get behind these measures. They are absolutely vital for us to stop the boats. They're vital to stop people making this treacherous journey in the first place. I describe our measures as humanitarian at core, actually, because people are paying tens of thousands of pounds to people smuggling gangs. They're dying on the channel in a uh, hope to get to a life in the UK. They should not be making that journey in the first place. Um, they should not be making that journey in the first place. I, I sense that you don't have a lot of sympathy for Suella Braverman and, and her, uh, her policies and what she's doing. And it does seem to be a ridiculously complicated story when you would think that if they can do a deal, for example, with Albania, why can they not do a deal with other countries as well? Uh, first of all, let me say you that the bill, I, I find the bill discriminatory. Uh, it is discriminative towards people who come there uh, and be deported to Rwanda or other uh, other countries. Uh, UK has a long tradition with ethnicity, is rich in culture. I am sure that they can manage and do things uh, better than this. Uh, I see this also related with the visa application process. Uh, myself, I took a visa, I believe it was January, and the procedure was endless. Right. I have a diplomatic passport, I've lived in UK. Uh, there were 300 people in the queue. Uh, I don't know the numbers of people who are uh, uh, um, uh, who have applied for a visa and have uh, have actually got a visa. Mm. But I see the process very, very, very problematic. Uh, this pro problematic pro uh, process forces people uh, to use other channels, yeah. uh, uh, sometimes even criminal uh, uh, criminal routes to pay a, a very high amount of money. And let me assure you that. Uh, the sums paid go to UK, going to UK are the, the, the salary of a normal Albanian during the whole yeah. year. Uh, so uh, they kind of uh, have family there. They have links there. Most probably uh, uh, they want to, uh, to, to, to continue a life in UK. Uh, if the visa application was faster, the procedures were swifter, uh, I believe that people would have go there, see the opportunity, see that they cannot do there uh, a lot. Uh, see that uh, most probably there is not uh, an honest way of living in mm. UK and they would come back. Uh, uh, and uh, if also from the British side, uh, increased control and monitoring would have been higher since at the beginning of, of this process, um, uh, I believe things would have been differently. And I'm, um, I, I am emphasizing another thing, uh, Mike, again, uh, things have not changed in Albania. Uh, same government, same problems, same unemployment, same uh, uh, high uh, inequality. Uh, things have, have changed only from your side of the border. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because even uh, 20, 10 or 15 years ago, uh, Britain used to ex actually deport more people, more illegal immigrants than they do now because the whole system is, is basically broken. They don't seem to be able to do anything. Uh, yes, and the... the uh, language they use, the system uh, uh, in itself, but also the methods being used with this uh, migration bill, uh, uh, I believe that um, are not uh, uh, are not very adapted to the British way of living mm. and uh, uh, to what Brits are, are normally doing. You are very well known for accepting uh, different ethnicities. Yes, I mean, but that was a long... But that was also... up to a prime minister's being but, but, from... But that was, but that was probably about 10 million people ago, you see. That's the other the thing yeah, that has yeah, changed here absolutely. is that there's a lot more people living in Britain now than there were. And, and so perhaps it's not uh, able to be quite as welcoming as it once was because the numbers are, are changing so much. 
Absolutely, I totally agree with you that Albania is not the same. Britain is not uh, is not the same, and uh, actually, I don't want Albanians to live here. Uh, I don't see them immigrating to UK as a solution. Mm. Right. Uh, I see them going to UK as a cry for for help, mm. uh, as a cry for help from from our side. What should we do as politicians? Uh, but uh, in uh, them going uh, to UK, then uh, as we discussed. Uh, uh, I believe that uh, things would have been treated differently. Mm. Well, we hope so, uh, and hopefully they'll find a, a, a proper solution to all of it in in the meantime. Uh, I, I I hope so. I was reading before this interview actually that the Albanian community there does actually create a lot of uh, added value in terms of uh, not only students uh, but also uh, entrepreneurs, doctors, uh, uh, a whole range of engineers, lawyers. So. Also for UK, who is asking right now for labor, uh, a specialized one, especially mm. doctors, nurses, uh, uh, Albanians are, are giving a great contribution there. I would hope that they would give it to Albania. I would hope that uh, my party would govern, not be in opposition and offer a different reality. Mm. Uh, but uh, I can assure you that no one wants to leave uh, uh, happily this. Uh, do you think? Uh, do you think that, Do you think a lot of the Albanian community, which is here now, will return to Albania then, when Albania becomes a better place to live? Uh, I hope so. Uh, I hope that. Uh, uh, see, Mike, Albania has the third biggest diaspora in the world. Having the third biggest diaspora in the world means that also our economy is losing a lot. Is losing because we are also, uh, as I said before, uh, losing people who are now uh, uh, skilled uh, uh, persons in, in their areas, are real professionals in their areas. So uh, I believe that uh, uh, going out has never been an option for myself and for people close to mm. me. And I believe that uh, sooner than later also for Albanians uh, would uh, would not be an option. Uh, uh, I uh, The reasons why Albanians leave uh, uh, are linked uh, with uh, a lot of uh, the the uh, criteria we have to to uh, fulfill to undergo our EU integration process, uh, fight against corruption, um, uh, increase the rule of law. Uh, so I believe that for us, working to improve these areas would also mean uh, working to keep Albanians in the country. Yeah. I think so. Good to talk to you, Jarida. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, Jarida Tabaku, the Albanian MP from the Democratic Party of Albania, saying that if Albania uh, was more uh, of, a, of a place where you could make more money, of a place where you could live better, uh, then more people would probably return and less people would come. But certainly what we now know uh, is that fewer people are coming from Albania who might be coming uh, for nefarious purposes because they will be sent back. And that seems to be the one part so far uh, of the uh, migrant crisis that appears to be working. We shall see. Uh, from 2023 in January to March, 795 Albanian nationals have been returned. Of these, 389 were enforced returns, 406 were voluntary returns, uh, and these operations are expected to intensify further in upcoming months. And that can only be a good thing. This is Talk TV. Strong. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Hi. 
This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.